Her childhood was an endless night of running. The masks followed her everywhere she went. Through vines and mist, she traversed the jade death. Terror pulled at her limbs like puppet strings. One day, she fell into a deep chasm, virgin to the touch of light or sound. And in that place of deepest isolation, she met them. The gentlefolk showed her the nature of her fear. From that day on, she pulled the strings. Cult 1440 presents Echoes of Exesar, Season 3, Episode 3, The Child of Doorways. Most of the corpses were too brittle to stand, 
let alone carry something of that weight over to him. Better to simply wait for them to finish the job, I supposed. You wouldn't have to wait too long. Wrestling my arm away from the skeleton's mouth, I tried to scramble away. I was pinned down immediately. The heat from the red coin embedded in the skeleton's forearm nearly seared my skin off. The skeleton clambered on top of me. Its body reeked of rot. Globules of viscera rained down upon me. With a whooping wail, it threw itself back, raising both rattling arms in preparation for a lunge. Instinct for survival overrode my fear. I had to escape the bind of these two undead, here and now, or else I would be done. There were no weapons at my disposal, no tools or shadow fright magic. I had no formal training to fight this kind of monster. There was only a base, primal impulse. It took over my body, wrenched control from my brain. I grit my teeth, knowing whatever came next would demand a price. My eyes locked onto the skeletons. Two glowing embers, floating like fireflies within the hopeless caves of its eye sockets. They were given eyes, I thought, as my right hand gripped a fistful of sand. It must have been for a reason. I threw the clump of sand. It struck the skeleton as soon as it began its lunge. Shrieking, it recoiled. Following its momentum, I forced myself to sit up straight. I stuck both arms forward, pushing on the undead's ribcage with all my might. The skeleton resisted, clutching my wrists with its ice-cold hands. Again, the red-hot coin singed my skin. Its skull flipped forward. The hinge of its jaw shattered as it screamed at me. I let out a raging bellow, forcing the skeleton's spine backwards. Snap! It was like breaking a leg of mutton in half. With a crisp, wet crack, the skeleton's torso dislodged from its bottom half. It crashed onto what remained of the skeleton behind it. The blow loosened the grip on my left leg, and I pulled it free. Shimmying free from both of them, I stumbled to my feet. I hadn't even had time to get my bearings before the next one was upon me. Like a demon, it charged, upper body loose and jangly as its upright legs propelled it forward. It swung at me with its entire body, arcing its lifeless arms like flails toward my face. Just barely, I dodged, but in doing so I lost track of my footing. I tripped on the stairs to one of the shacks, tumbling onto the rickety porch. The skeleton took a running leap at me. I rolled sideways. Its bony mass collided with the wooden fence of the porch. Its body exploded with the fence. A writhing mass of bones and splintered planks was left in its wake. I stood up, surveying the scene. More. So many more were coming. Punching up from the floorboards, crawling down from the awning. A dozen or so barreled over one another as they bull-rushed the porch. Panicking, I ducked inside the shack. Slamming the door shut, I heaved a toppled chair over to the door handle. There was a divot in the floor panels where the chair's legs could brace against the door. A moment later, there was a rattling boom. The entire shack quivered from the dead scraping at the door. Barely an inch of brittle wood separated me from gnashing, hissing death. I scanned my surroundings. The shack was one small space, littered with trash. Moldy cots and blankets, shattered plates and mugs, spilt stationery, 
Mercifully, no dead lurked in here. However, there were three open windows, one on the side wall and one on the back. Small, but big enough for a skeleton to get through. The side window had swinging shutter doors. The shutters on the back window had rotted off. I had seconds, at best, to close them up before the dead poured in through them. While the horde rammed the front door, I raced to the side window. Tearing the blanket in two, I used one piece of the blanket to tie the shutter doors shut at their handles. The blanket was heavy and slick from rain. My trembling fingers fumbled with the fabric. All the while, I tried to ignore the cracking of the front door under each heavy blow from the horde. Finally, I succeeded in tying the first window shut. Now for the back. I combed through the room, praying for anything even remotely resembling a barrier. I decided to try and use the cot somehow. I heaved it up by the legs, dragging it to the back window. Time and neglect had loosened the hempen cords and left tears in the cloth of the bed. A stiff wind could have knocked this thing apart. Still, it was all I had. I stood it upright, moving it into the window's position. And then, I stopped. Something was watching me from outside, and from above. It hovered, about thirty feet in the air, and about as far from the window. It wasn't a skeleton. It appeared to be a person. Tall, hooded, draped in green and brown robes. The robes were frayed and looked like hanging moss. A dome-shaped rucksack hung off their back, looking like a tortoise shell. Black boots covered their feet. Their hands were clasped together, covered by the robe's long sleeves. I saw no trace of skin, no physical features. Only a mossy-robed humanoid, standing perfectly still in mid-air. I stood there, mouth agape. I had no idea what to do. Was this another thrall of that kin? What was this power they possessed that allowed them to walk on air? And what in Exesor were they doing here? Before I could speak, the figure moved. Their hands parted, revealing from within their sleeves a familiar glowing metal egg. The soul quiver. How? I mouthed. I didn't have time to finish the thought. With a final, vanquished groan, the front door behind me smashed to pieces. I turned on my heels. A dozen red beacons shone through the darkness. Their ember eyes blazed as they locked onto me. Lightning struck again, casting their contorted frames in stark silver. Hollow, yearning wails clashed with thunder. Frenzied, they charged. They were so many, and so fast. I had nowhere to run, nothing to fight with, nothing to do but brace myself. I threw up my arms as a shield. I was so focused on the coming impact, I almost didn't notice something grasping my shoulders from behind. No chance to look behind me. A sudden force ripped me backwards. I crashed through the small back window, plowing into the sand dunes behind the shack. I did not tumble. Something dragged me through the sand, something incredibly strong. 
before I could blink. I found myself in the tree line skirting the village, a good hundred feet away from the shack I'd just been standing in. As quickly as it came, the force released me. Wheezing from the ordeal, I got up and looked around. Nothing but trees and foliage. Turning back to the village, I saw the skeletons inside the shack frantically searching for me. Another dozen or so had already swarmed the roof, punching holes in it so they could crawl inside like insects. When they realized I was gone, all of them let out a long, piercing keen into the stormy night sky. The floating figure was gone, and the soul quiver with them. I winced. After the initial shock, the pain of being torn through a wall was beginning to settle in. My back was a pincushion for splinters. Gashes adorned my sides and shoulders. I reached up to test my wounds when I heard the woman's voice. North, she whispered into my ear. I recoiled, searching for her. It was too dark to see. She could have been inches from me, and I wouldn't have been able to tell. Follow. Tree moss. North. Keep move. Uh, move in night, or they catch you. Come day. Look for toad. Toad scratching. No. Carve. Carving. On stone by river. Follow to pond of fairies. I wait there at shrine. The voice sounded young. Calm, though clearly frustrated at her spotty's trade speech. Could this woman be the floating figure? Either way, it seemed she had some kind of connection to this island, perhaps even to the man with the coin. Why don't you take me there yourself? I asked. Or better yet, tell me who you are, what's going on. No, she replied. I chase... I lead them away. Find you later. Soon I tell. What about the soul? The egg? I asked carefully. Didn't want to give up too much information if I didn't have to. Later, she said. Go. Now. I felt her sudden absence in the quiet that followed. Next, I heard a great rustling in the trees on the other side of the village. From somewhere in the trees, a sound came slashing through the wind. sounded like the scraping of flint and tinder, except a hundred times louder and set to a warlike rhythm. Upon hearing it, the undead halted, turning their skinless heads up towards the sound. Their united screeches rose up to meet the thunder. An instant later, the mob quit the shack, stampeding through the city streets. I watched their red coins fade into the darkness of the tree line on the other side of the village. I had no idea what to make of anything I'd just seen. I felt like I'd been dealt a hand of cards in a game I'd never played before. But even I knew when to fold sometimes. Taking the woman's advice, I began to push through the jungle underbrush. 
feeling nearby tree trunks for the moss that would lead me north. As I grew farther from the village, I noted how eerily quiet everything had gotten, aside from the thunder, rain, and occasional croaking toad. All was peaceful. I had expected sounds of battle, or more wailing from the skeletons. For all the stress of the last few minutes, the ensuing silence unnerved me more than anything. As if hearing my protests, the pain in my shoulders flared up as I walked. I gripped them, clenching my teeth. I had nothing to treat them with. It was too dark to get a close look at the flora around me. Too risky to use mystery leaves or berries. I just had to tough it out. Everything in my body just wanted to lie down and shake after what just happened. Keep moving, night, the woman had said, or they catch you. Sighing, I forced my legs forward. My boots sank into the muddy abscesses in the ground. Branches nipped and raised my arms. A thousand insects feasted proudly on my neck. I found more of the island's strange red bulbs to light my way, along with the ice-blue veins running through the ground. The island never ceased to keep me on my toes. Trees twisted into spirals. Plant life grasped and swayed as if sentient. A swarm of yellow-black beetles leapt from tree to tree in perfect unison. Be careful, everything seemed to say. You might be our next meal, I grunted to myself. I didn't like feeling this vulnerable. I felt like I was putting too much trust in this woman, especially when I didn't even know her face. As a former agent of the Ebon Mist, I sometimes had to go out on a limb when I didn't have all the information, but I certainly wasn't used to being so totally ignorant. For all I knew, I was walking straight into a trap. After all, the woman already had the soul quiver. What use was I? But then, why not just kill me then and there? Perhaps I was still good for something after all. Idly, I wondered how many people were on this island and how long they had been here. It seemed like this woman and the coin man had some kind of history. Maybe they'd been at each other's throats for a long time. If so, maybe the appearance of an unknown variable like myself could be useful in tipping the scales. Amidst the haze of my thoughts, I remembered those I'd left behind. Quinn and the Miraculous Four. Aiden only knew what had become of them. I shuddered, remembering the severity of Quinn's wounds. If something happened to her... No, I told myself. Put the thought out of your mind, Vondere. You'll only go mad with worry, which is the last thing you need right now. It was easier said than done. With his old dead, and the mist dissolved, Quinn was the only thing I had left from that life. The mist was her home, too. I couldn't help but feel like I had taken everything from her. The thought made me sick. She was the closest thing I had to a true friend. Stuck her neck out for me far too often. Put her life at risk to save mine, only to wind up on the chopping block in Mira. 
The least I could have done was save her, and I scorched that up too. Nearly got her killed anyway. If it hadn't been for the four intervening, we'd both be dead. If I could just see her one more time, apologize for how things have turned out. In spite of myself, I chuckled. Imagine what Quinn would say to you right now, I thought to myself. Probably something like, Oh, would you quit with your sappy brood fest already? Go beat up a ghost or whatever it is you do. <laughs> I smiled. She always did have a way with words. I pressed on. Through the mud and the rain and the insects. Through the pitch of night and the pain of my wounds. I'll see you again someday, Quinn, I resolved. One way or another. Until then, I've got some ghosts to beat up. Daylight cast its mercy over the horizon. I'd walked straight through the night, scaling hillsides and trudging through swamps. At last I came upon a marshland near a bubbling river studded with great stones. Wading through the pools of reeds and algae, I tracked the stones along the riverside. Sure enough, I came upon the mark of the toad. It was carved with surprising elegance into the stone's peak. A toad in flowing robes, sitting in a lotus position. Its tongue formed a circle around itself. The tip of the tongue pointed farther north. It led me a few hundred feet upstream to the next stone bearing the mark. This continued for a time, stone after stone, guiding me as the river spilt down a series of rolling hills. The river began to splinter into small streams. Small waterfalls formed as the streams danced over smooth rock formations. Embedded in the stones were multicolored gems that glittered in the sun. The same gems dotted the bottoms of the small ponds that gathered under the falls. Something hummed around me, like a thousand tiny voices singing a soft, serene note. I did a double take, as what looked like a tiny, winged person leapt from one pond to another. Upon closer inspection, I saw they were actually tiny, winged fish. Their smooth scales looked like various colors of flesh, and their bodies were slender. They could almost pass for fairies. This must be the place, I thought. Sitting atop one of the hills in the distance, I saw a shrine, a circle of hewn stone, with six objects lining the inside. I couldn't tell what they were from here. There was no sign of anyone around the shrine. Carefully, I climbed up the hill. The sun was well into the sky now, its rays casting the mildewed grass in gold. A gentle breeze swayed to the tune of the humming fairy ponds. I approached the shrine. It was about ten feet in diameter. The objects appeared to be various apparatuses. There was a small fire pit, a basin of water, a pillar embedded with wind chimes, a standing stone adorned with feathers and animal fangs. A lantern, aimed at the square of a linen scrim inside a box. 
and finally, a transparent crystal inside a glass case. I mused on each one. Clearly they were designed to reflect the six elements of the frights. Fire, water, earth, air, shadow, and light. The structure seemed worn by time, yet everything seemed meticulously well kept. It was hard to believe that the more delicate items, such as the lantern or the crystal, would survive in the wilderness. I listened as the breeze made music from the chimes, ran my hand across the cool stone pillar. Waving my hand at the scrim, I noted the shadow it cast. Perhaps these contraptions were a means for early kindred to commune with each other, I wondered. I frowned at the shadow box, thinking of his old. If only such a thing could allow me to speak to the dead frights. Eventually I turned my sights to the crystal. It stood pristinely in its glass case. I could perfectly see the fairy ponds behind it. This structure puzzled me the most. Luminous frights went extinct during the sundering. Why include this in the shrine? Unless it was far older than I originally thought. Or, unless they were less extinct than we believed, I found myself absorbed in the clarity of the crystal, the pleasant bubbling of the ponds beyond. Curiously, I noticed a particular hill between the one I stood on and the fairy ponds, a hill that wasn't there before. It was only when the hill began to move that I realized what it was. I backed away as the figure in the mossy green robes crested the hill. Joining them were several more, clad in exactly the same outfit. All of them wore the tortoise shell rucksacks. There were about ten of them, and they encircled the outside of the shrine. They stopped in unison, resuming the stoic pose I'd seen back at the village. At least this time they were on the ground. No worry said a voice behind me. Friends. I faced the voice. Standing at the edge of the shrine was a young woman, clad in armor made of leather and fur. She was tall and muscular. Beads, feathers, and ribbons draped down from her collar, hips, and hemline. Color cascaded from her. Rich purples, crimson reds, vibrant greens. I noted her armor had patches of silk fishnets woven throughout, a hallmark of the Wula. The golden beige skin of her face was marked with six red ovals, three on each side. They started at the cheekbone, skirting the outer edge of her upturned brown eyes. A jade green clip, shaped like the toad carvings, rested in her long, braided black hair. She looked at me with a mixture of hope and trepidation as if my presence could bring fortune or destruction at any moment. In her hands was the soul quiver. It pulsed with a gilded light to rival the sun itself. As she stepped into the ring of the shrine, I noticed the crystal begin to glow with the same light. Who are you? I asked. Who are your friends? What is all of this? I... Ketra, said the woman. They... Gentle folk. They no harm. Gentle folk. I looked at the mossy-robed stoics again. 
The Inquisitor had mentioned them in her description of Ranta. Were they the ones who pulled me out of that shack? Or was it this woman? I am... Oren, I said. Couldn't trust her with my real name yet. I was brought here by someone, or something. I don't know why, but I do know the thing in your hands is very powerful. That man in the village, Raxo, Ketra said, kin of dying embers. I paused. So this woman was aware of kin after all, and knew the identity of the coin man. Raxo. Do you know what he wants with the soul quiver? Ketra nodded. Need help, she said. Must protect her. Child of doorways. I beg your pardon? I asked, confused. Perhaps something had been lost in translation. In response, Ketra set the soul quiver down in the center of the circle. The crystal began to glow brighter, impossibly bright. I had to shield my eyes from it. I heard a pneumatic hiss from the soul quiver. I flinched as the metallic bands around the glass egg clinked apart. The bands fell off, and a seam opened up in the glass. Like a bolt of lightning, the egg flashed, and then it disappeared. The next thing I heard was crying. I looked down. My eyes readjusted to the light. Inside the smoking glass egg was a child. Her skin was translucent, pulsing with the same sun-like energy. Two budding horns sprouted from her forehead. Her eyes were human, but the irises glowed blood red like a drailish. The rolling hills echoed with her cries. Other than her fantastical nature, she seemed like any normal infant, scared, perhaps hungry, yearning for comfort. I stepped away from the child. Is she... a fright? No, Ketra explained. Kindred. Echoes of Exeser is a production of Colt 1440. Find out more at colt1440productions.com. This episode was written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand, freesound.org, and Sword Coast Soundscapes on YouTube. Link in the description. Theme song composed by Brittany Rea. Follow her on SoundCloud and YouTube for more amazing music. Links in the description. For questions or comments, email us at colt1440productions at gmail.com.